Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Molly. So Molly, we hear a lot when it comes to parenting, when it comes to uh, even welfare, when it comes to the uh, Proposition 8 and gay marriage and gay adoption, all these kinds of big policy issues. We hear a lot about the necessity of both a mother and a father for child yes. welfare. Yes. Um, we hear a lot from... Uh, Politicians, um, even, you know, even Barack Obama has, um, has emphasized the need for fathers. Um, the government has poured tons of resources into really trying to, uh, reeducate men about fatherhood and, um, bring more dads home and, and as an active part of their children's lives. But there was an interesting study that uh, recently came out. It was kind of a reanalysis of a number of studies, actually. I call it a super study. A super study, if you will, that was published um, this month, January, in the Journal of Marriage and Family that questioned this idea of whether or not gender really matters when it comes to parenting, whether or not children receive different and yet complementary um, benefits from a man and a woman that are necessary for positive child development. Right. So there's this thinking that there are unique gifts that you can only get from parents of certain genders mm-hmm. that, you know, let's take the father because they're the ones that, you know, the, the president, like you just said, has been talking about that, you know, boys need a father to learn how to become good men. And it gives a, a daughter a chance to kind of like figure out her femininity in relation in a safe relationship with kind of another man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the mother's the nurturer, the father's the disciplinary, and there are just these stereotypes go on and on. And people think that if you bring up a child without both of these role models, that somehow they will be inherently flawed or, you know, not as good. Right. And um, a lot of the research, too, people will cite, say that, you know, children raised in single parent homes are more at risk for delinquency and low educational attainment and, you know, all of these negative factors as well to once again, like hammer home this point that married, quote unquote, intact families, i.e. households headed by a married mother and a father are simply the best parenting scenario out there. And so this this study, super study that we're talking about came from uh, sociologist Timothy Biblartz from the University of Southern California and Judah Stacy at New York University, where they reanalyzed 81 different parenting studies um, that look at everything from you know single parent homes, single mothers, single dads, heterosexual married couples, homosexual married couples, and how the children have turned out in all of these different scenarios to really find out you know if that. Um, that model, that traditional model of mother, married mother and father is actually the best. And full disclosure, I did report on this study entitled, How Does the Gender of Parents Matter for Discovery News? Yeah, and you got to talk to Judith Stacy. Yes. So maybe throughout the podcast, she'll tell us the cool things she said. Yes. But I do think that, you know, you mentioned um, battles over same-sex marriage. I feel like over and over again, we hear that 
you know, gay people shouldn't be allowed to adopt or, you know, these these couples shouldn't get married because then they're going to be bringing up their children to, you know, who knows what. And you'll always hear someone, there will always be someone on the sidelines saying, studies show that kids do best when there's a male father and a female mother who are married. Mm -hmm. And this study did a really good job of explaining to me how people have taken that out of context. It's basically just a bogus, a bogus statement. Well, uh, because a lot of it, when they went back and looked at the methodology of all these parenting studies, they realized that in a lot of cases we're comparing apples and oranges mm-hmm. because a lot of those um, gender-specific parenting skills that you reference, such as the dad being the disciplinary and the mother being the nurturer, come out of studies that only look at heterosexual married couples. It doesn't take into account um, instances such as um, single adoptive parents or... Uh, children of widowed parents or um, even, uh, you know, gay married couples. So all those studies, basically, they'll take a married couple and compare that to, like, a single mother, right? Yes. And not necessarily, like, two heterosexual people to two homosexual people. That's the apples and oranges you're talking about, right? Right. Well, it's, they don't do a good job at actually isolating these, this gender variable mm-hmm. um, because um, Stacy and Biblartz point out that there are five major variables to look at um, when we are assessing uh, you know, all these basic factors that go into parenting, such as the number of parents, uh, their gender, sexual identity, their marital status, and their biogenetic relationship to the kids, i.e. whether or not, you know, we have stepchildren, adoptive kids, um, their biological kids, what have you. So it, it's apples aren't just because they won't, they won't isolate out these factors. So basically the problem with a lot of these studies was that they weren't able to hold constant these other factors that are going into um, how these people might be raising their children. For instance, if you really want to isolate the impact of gender, you would do something as specific as comparing, you know, uh, the out- child outcomes of single mothers who have adopted a child compared to single fathers who have adopted a child, both of whom would probably be, you know, single heterosexual women or single homosexual women versus the exact same, all of those different variables would need to be the same for both the women and the men to um, to actually look at what role the gender is playing, mm-hmm. everything else held constant. Because if you just compare them to a two-parent family, then what I understand from you is that Dr. Stacy said that then the two-parent family, yes, does have more resources to give the child. Right. And the gender kind of doesn't shake out, whereas the single woman is a little bit more disadvantaged in terms of resources, but the gender should not affect the child. Right. That the lack of resources affected the child. Exactly. That they don't turn out with any, you know, gender hangups. They aren't more likely to, let's say, become pregnant, which they're saying that girls who are raised by fathers might be more less likely to become pregnant. Mm-hmm. That would not have to do with the fact that they have a male around so much as they have extra resources around, right? Yeah, and, um, and I think that it is important to note that um, the study and a lot of child development um, studies that you'll look at will conclude that on average, children who are raised in two parent homes, not a, you know, whether those are two men, two women, a man and a woman, two parent homes, um, do better than children who are raised in single parent homes. But that also doesn't necessarily imply that children who are raised by single parents are, you know, Im- inherently at risk for disaster. Right. Because if you're going into it and let's say making it a choice versus um, 
you know, getting dumped on the side of the road with a child, then yes, you still have the resources mm-hmm. to give the child as opposed to someone who might, you know, have just gotten kicked out of a home by a boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, they are at a little bit of a disadvantage. Yeah. And I think that a, a lot of this too, um, from talking to Dr. Stacy and to another, um, source, Dr. Um, Jean Hilton at the University of Nevada at Reno, uh, both of them continually came back to the point of resource investment Mm -hmm. as the, you know, the major predictor of, um, positive child development. Um, for instance, uh, a lot of these studies on, uh, lesbian couples who have raised children have found that the children do just as well as kids raised, um, by heterosexual couples, and they might even do better on some psychosocial scores, such as their self-esteem and um, their just general openness to other people because they're probably raised in a more diverse setting. And one reason why they might do so well is because they are, uh, because of the social and legal um, barriers that are, that are still around for, um, gay couples having and raising children, they have to be more committed and more motivated to make it work. Therefore, they are going to have deeper resource investment in these children. Mm-hmm. So that's the thinking that if they do more studies on same sex couples raising children, they think that's what they'll find, right? Well, that's already been established in a number of studies specifically on, children raised um, by lesbian parents. Mm-hmm. But to some degree, the jury is still out on those scenarios for um, gay male couples because their the research hasn't simply hasn't caught up to child outcomes for those scenarios. But Dr. Stacy, when I was talking to her, predicted that once there is more research that's been done on child outcomes under uh, with gay male couples, it's going to turn out that two men raising children are going to be possibly the best parents because there are more barriers for them having and raising children than any other household structure, mm-hmm. you know, in society right now. Therefore, they are going to be deeply motivated and deeply committed and probably have to invest even more resources than any other any other type of uh, family. Right. And, you know, we're engaging a little bit in generalizations here. Sure. But... I mean, every family is different. That's obviously. sort of what some of these people on the forefront do as well. So basically, it sounds like what this doctor is saying is that gender itself and the fact the kind of values you would instill in your child are not considered resources that, you know, having a mother who nurtures you is not some sort of resource investment that you can get that you can't get by having a lack of a mother in a two parent family. Right. Right. And I mean, part of this study is also pointing out the difficulty of analyzing and comparing different types of parenting models, just because there are so many variables that go into parenting. I mean, you know, when I was talking to Dr. Stacy, you know, she, she mentioned how, um, you know, some children just in general are easier to parent than others. I was probably a dream to parent. I'd like to think. <laughs> I'm sure you were. Um, and I mean, there are just so many different scenarios, um, that can, you know, lead up to people having children in the circumstances surrounding that, that to quote the study, um, she says, you know, we predict that even ideal research designs will find instead that ideal parenting comes in many different genres and genders. And so the conclusion of this super study, if you will, 
is that there is no optimal parenting structure. Mm -hmm. It's all about whether you are gay, straight, male, or female. It's all about this resource investment and what you are dedicating, dedicating yourself to, to invest in your children. Mm -hmm. But let's take another side of the argument, which is, you know, if you allow two gay men to adopt a child, what will the child sort of internalize by watching these two mm-hmm. men try to parent him? And I thought you sent me a really interesting um, National Post article about how within any relationship, any parenting relationship, people take on sort of stereotypical gender roles. And um, like, let's take let's take sort of an obvious one um, in a heterosexual couple. The woman, let's say, is charged more with housework. She'll be with the child more. Um, the father will be less invested in the child. I mean, not personally, but just he has to go out and work. So he mm-hmm. sees the child less. Um, it was about how, you know, even people who grow up sort of in our generation are determined to be as equal as possible in terms of parenting and sharing chores uh, sort of fall into these old roles. Mm-hmm. Whereas they're saying that these couples um, of two women and two men are less likely to fall into those roles. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, these studies have found that um, homosexual couples do a better job of sharing um, child care tasks equally. But even in these studies of um, lesbian couples, there are still kind of these... Um, traditional heteronormative gender roles, if you will, that do emerge a lot of times, not as strongly as they do in heterosexual couples, but you, at some point you still have one person who is, um, has a little more responsibility over childcare and the other person who has a little more responsibility of resource providing. But if you're a small child trying to internalize, you know, all this stuff, you would not necessarily feel that one gender was limited to that, right? Exactly. That's kind of cool. You know, you, if you are growing up in like, you know, a mother and a father, you don't grow up thinking, oh, you know, moms stay home with kids and dads go to work. Whereas because you're in this situation where you see two people of the same gender figuring out how to make it work and not saying, well, just because you're this, mm-hmm. this happens. Well, and I think that, um, it's also good to point out that, you know, one of the main arguments um, against gay marriage is that these children are going to, um, by being raised by two people of the same gender, it's going to skew their gender identity. You know, a boy raised by two women will be too feminine and vice versa for a girl raised by two men. But um, there was a really good comprehensive research summary from the American Psychological Association on Lesbian and Gay Parenting Research. And this is from Dr. Charlotte Patterson at UVA. And uh, she points out that, you know, there are three major categories of concern about children of gay parents, um, such as the uh, the gender identity issues that I just talked about and um, greater propensity towards mental breakdown and just basic, you know, social maladjustment because they're in these kind of novel family structures. And all of the research to date has debunked all of those major concerns. And even with, um, again, I keep going back to this uh, research on lesbian couples, and it's just because there's uh, there's more more of these child outcome studies for lesbian couples. And it's found that in terms of um, scores of masculinity and femininity, the children, um, there are no there are no differences between children raised in um, by lesbian parents and children raised by heterosexual parents. You know, boys scored, you know, the same amount on masculinity as they would either way. And they are no more likely to be gay. So really, there's nothing that um 
two parents of different genders can instill in a kid that's going to be any different than what two people of the same gender can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's just kind of hammering home this point that, you know, the, the optimal structure is going to be, you know, people who are caring and committed and, you know, raising their children as best as they can. Mm-hmm. And you can't boil that down to say that that has to be a man, a married man and a married woman at home every day. Mm-hmm. Takes a village. Takes a village. But lacking a village, it doesn't matter what gender is in your village because it doesn't appear that that gender instills any particular, you know, it doesn't lower your risk of going to jail. You know, that's some, sometimes an argument they say for, for boys who have male figures around. They won't go to jail as often. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's all about the resource development, right? Yeah. And some people, you know, one question um, that this research raised for me was, you know, does this mean that you know, kids, you know, particularly don't need fathers, you know, are we just going way too overboard with all of this, this fatherhood stuff? And Dr. Stacy was quick to point out that, um, you know, that's, that's not the case at all. It has nothing to do, um, with gender. Like a man can parent a child on his own just as well as, um, a woman Mm -hmm. can parent a child. I mean, I think it just happens a lot, a lot more that, that women end up being the caretakers because we have, we physically have the babies. Um, but, uh, one gender is not, um, less able than the other to be a good parent. Sounds good. Well, it was a very interesting super study. Yeah. I'm and jealous you got to talk to, uh, the co-author. Yeah. It was, it was great talking to Dr. Stacy. And again, the title of the article is How Does the Gender of Parents Matter? And it is in the Journal of Marriage and Family. If you want to check it out, I don't think the full article is online, but you can check out the abstract. And there are all sorts of, um, related studies as well. Like I said, this covered 81 different parenting studies. That's why it's a super study. That's why it's a super study. And there are still a lot of, a lot of questions. I mean, Dr. Stacy said that it was such a tedious process having to go back and try to, um, unravel all of these different variables. Particularly when other researchers hadn't tried to unravel them at all. Yeah. And stuck them all in one study. And there are still, you know, questions left to answer. And, um, even Dr. Hilton from University of Nevada, who, um, who I talked to as well, said that, you know, this is a great first step, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, like answer all of our questions about gender. But I think that, um, I think that it might be high time for us to kind of stop with this knee jerk, um, you need a mother statement. Yeah. That you need, that you absolutely need a mom and a dad. And that's the only way that it's going to work, that you're going to have successful children. All right. So, but we want to hear what you guys think about this. Family structures, what particular gender gifts a mother or a father give, if they're necessary, they're not. So email us, momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And I think we have time for one or two people who have already emailed us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Got one here from Erin about deodorant. She said, I think you missed one important part in your podcast about deodorants and antiperspirants. Body odor was not a problem until the 1940s and 1950s. Women's magazines began to market these new products as a way to not offend guests you may be entertaining, essentially telling women that they had to be offending guests with their female odor. I find it fascinating that the problem, quote-unquote, is one that was created in order to sell products. Some modern examples of this are wrinkle creams, teeth whiteners, and female razor blades. 
Okay, and Jeanette, our next writer, kind of picks up on that sort of th- same theme. Um, she thinks that the U.S. may have more of a dependence on deodorant than other parts of the world. I'm American and have been living in Japan for a few years now. The pharmacies here sell more of a selection of women's deodorant than men's, but it's not that big. And of that, only one or two are also antiperspirants. And the ones that include antiperspirant are usually American brands. It seems like deodorant here is more of a girly thing. I also say that because a few months after I started dating my Japanese boyfriend, I noticed that he does not use deodorant at all. I was kind of shocked as I thought men required it so they wouldn't stink up every room they entered, but he doesn't smell bad or have wet spots under his arms. I would say not using deodorant is typical of Japanese men, and maybe I was attracted to my boyfriend because his diverse DNA scent wasn't being masked by Old Spice. And foreign men that come to Japan have told me that they have trouble finding deodorant that works for them. This made me think that maybe we get hooked on deodorant during puberty and our body gets accustomed to it, so when we skip a day, we really notice the smell of moisture. But perhaps once our hormones level out, we don't need to be sticking chemicals under our arms at all. All right. So if you have anything that you would like to send our way, thoughts, feelings, impressions, email us. Pictures. Pictures. (laughs) Tasteful pictures. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is the email address. And during the week, keep up with what Molly and I are thinking about at our blog, How To Stuff. And you can find it and a whole host of interesting articles for your reading pleasure at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?